If you would, take out the Word of God and turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 35 through 41. As you turn there, just a quick announcement. We put out our bulletin, and you'll notice at the bottom there is a, a list of events. We're trying to uh, let everyone know well in advance what's coming this year. Uh, and we're going to try to plod forward as best we can with everything we normally do around here this year. Uh, also, if you haven't checked your email in a long time, uh, I sent out an email this week, just sort of an update about how, how we're still handling COVID and what that looks like around here. Uh, we're still monitoring our numbers, how many services we're going to have and what all of that looks like. And so make sure to check your email. Uh, there's some updates in there about that. But know that we are continually looking at our numbers and trying to do the best we can uh, with worship on Sunday. I know everyone's uh, preference is one service, and we're going to try to hold to that as best we can. Uh, God has been kind to us in allowing us to continue to gather for worship with no uh, major issues, and so we want to continue to do that. And so keep that in mind. Uh, our goal is to protect our Sunday morning gathering, and we are committed to doing that no matter what. And so, uh, but, but just look at that email and you'll find out more about how we're trying to do that. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35 through 41. Stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. We say often we want to be a people of the word. And this is where that begins. This is where we all come together in fellowship around the Word of God. As we hold the Word of God, we are, in some sense, holding one another as we hold the Word of God together. And this is where fellowship begins. This is where ministry and mission begins. This is where a church, we become a people committed to the Word, who know the Word who want to apply the word to our life. And so hear the word. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he took them with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat. So that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and they said, Teacher, do you not care we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Oh God, we thank you for your perfect word. God, it is our hope. It is 
That is what brings us joy in our life. God, you have not hidden yourself from us. You are not a secret today. You have disclosed and unveiled your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. God, you have displayed to us that you are king of the cosmos. You are ruler of the world. God, the wind and the waves obey him. May we obey him. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I grew up bass fishing on the Tennessee River uh, with one of my uncles. And we would get up on many Friday mornings and we would drive 40 minutes south across the Tennessee border into uh, Decatur, Alabama. And we would spend the morning and most of the day bass fishing on the Tennessee River there. What was common in Alabama, uh, the heat that goes on there, mid-afternoon, and especially during summer days, were some really amazing, spectacular, wonderful thunderstorms. And I, I, I enjoy, I still really enjoy watching thunderstorms. If I know one's rolling in, I will go sit on the back porch and watch a thunderstorm just roll right over our house. And you say, oh, you're more redneck than I thought. But, But I grew up on the river watching these thunderstorms roll in. And I never panicked. When we would see them. And one reason I never panicked is because my uncle, who's just a seasoned fisherman, who spent so much time on the river, he, he never really even cared when they would come up. He would see one and he, we would watch it and then we would move to the other side of the river. Or he knew the river so well, we would find places of cover and let them go by. And it, it was never really a big deal until one morning when... Even before the sun come up, came up, there was Tennessee again, come up. But it was actually like the sun did not come up that morning. Because the sky never, uh, there, was, there was never a sun in the sky on that day. It just remained black as we sat there. And I think it surprised my uncle what was coming upon us. We were just fishing. And then all of a sudden, he looked at me with terror in his eyes. And he said, let's go. And we grabbed these really, really expensive fishing poles. And we began to shove them in the storage areas on this bass boat. And he didn't even wait for me to, to put my life jacket on or sit down. He jumped in the seat, even without his life jacket on, which wasn't very smart, And just slam the throttle down. And I remember holding on to my life jacket because I thought that would be safe. And I remember holding on to the seat as we flew across this river. And it was like we were in the middle of the ocean. We were slamming against waves. I felt like this boat was going to flip over. As he tells the story now, he remembers it Uh, Well, he says we were hitting 70 miles an hour across the river. I don't know if that's true or not. That just makes for a good story. But there was lightning crashing all around, thunder, and we were scared to death. 
we got to the loading ramp and we couldn't even get the boat up the ramp because the water was so rough. We just tied it up and we went and sat in the truck until the storm was over. It was like 45 minutes. We didn't even know if the boat was still going to be there when we got back. And I, I thought about that moment on the river and it was a storm like any other. It was one of the most terrifying moments in my life. But you know what scared me the most? It wasn't the storm. I was, I was a stupid little kid. I didn't know to be scared of storms at that point in my life. I was scared because he was so scared. I remember the panic in this seasoned fisherman's eye like I had never seen before. Someone who I had watched just stare storms down and move around. And all of a sudden there is this panic in his eyes. There is terror. And we are trying to save ourselves. Now as we come to the text, I imagine the storm on this day with the disciples and Jesus was, was very similar. And what ends up scaring these seasoned fishermen who are with Jesus is not just the storm. And it's not that Jesus is scared of the storm. What ends up scaring them more than anything on this day is there is no panic in Jesus' eyes. Is that he doesn't fear their storm. That's what brings terror to their lives. Notice verse 35, on that day when evening had come. Now, in context, we know that Jesus has spent much time teaching and doing ministry. He's performing miracles. He is healing lots of people. He is teaching the crowds. And at one moment, as he is teaching the crowds, they come rush up on him and he has to get on this boat and he uses it as a pulpit to teach the crowds that's there. It's probably a normal sized boat at that time would have been 24 foot long, 7 foot wide, and 4 foot deep. Have you ever seen John Martin's sailboat? Probably the same thing except made of wood. But on that evening, as he has been teaching the crowds from this boat... It seems as though Jesus gets tired. He's exhausted. And he said to them, let's go across to the other side. Jesus wants to get away from the crowds. In verse 36, leaving the crowds, he took him with them. Or here the disciples go with him on this boat. It says just as he was, the boat he was teaching from. And then we even see other boats go with him. It's probably the people, the crowds, the other fishermen that are there. They see him leaving and, and, and they follow him. As they followed him all around the Sea of Galilee as he's been preaching the gospel, declaring the kingdom is at hand. And they just follow him out onto the sea. But notice verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. Now, the word here is a fierce wind. It describes hurricane-like wind, probably 70 miles an hour. All of a sudden, rush upon the sea. Rush upon this boat out of nowhere. 
And the text says the waves were breaking into the boat. They are so high, they began to fill the boat. The boat is filling up with water. The word is that it was swamped. It was overwhelmed. It was covered. It begins to sink. Now, this was normal on the Sea of Galilee in many ways. The Sea of Galilee is one of the lowest seas in the world. Many think it is the lowest sea in the world. It was surrounded by great mountains. And you would have hot air that would rush off the side of these mountains into this bowl-like sea. And it created chaos in the sea all of the time. The fishermen were used to this. They, they were seasoned fishermen with Jesus. And yet here they're taken off guard by this storm. They are shocked by this storm. One of the things Mark wants to emphasize here, he wants to remind us that natural disasters are not merely natural. Matthew even describes this storm as a seizing. It is a shaking. And it is the same word used that we saw earlier in Mark of the man who is possessed by a demon and he is seizing out in the tabernacle. In the synagogue, he's seizing. There's something more going on with this storm. Mark wants to emphasize this. The king of the cosmos has come into the world. And Mark wants to emphasize the created order around him that is cursed by sin begins to attack him out on the sea. And we have to remember natural disasters. They're not natural. These sort of things it's not the way God created the world that these things just happen. The world, in some sense, is out of control and it is cursed with chaos. When Adam was created, he was created to rule in the garden on behalf of God. But Adam decided to join forces with Satan by sinning. And one of the things God does in that moment is he curses the earth. Adam cannot assert the dominion he is supposed to have. In the world in which he lives, it, it is chaotic. It is out of control. In the world God created that is to bring forth life and to nourish life, at times it seems as though it attacks itself. And this is an unnatural occurrence. When we see these things, we are to be reminded of the curse. And we're to be reminded that we can't take the dominion that we were created to take in and of ourselves, Because we're sinful. And we're not Jesus. This morning, my girls came in. They went out to start the car. And they came back in. And they, began, they said, it's icing outside. There, there's ice. And I thought, oh, here we go again. New Year's Eve service again. We're going to have people in ditches and everything. Now, in that moment, I couldn't walk out my front door and control what's going on. But what I did, I looked at my little LEX-18 weather app, and, and I thought in watching that radar, I had some kind of control. But it was a facade. It's not true. And we're to constantly be reminded of that. 
as we see floods, as we see fires, as we see hurricanes, as we see tornadoes, we are to be reminded we live in a world that is in chaos. It is rejecting the life in which God has created. And we are not the ones who can take dominion over it. We can't fix the problem. But verse 38, there is one who can. So what's he doing? He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. So this windstorm rushes upon the sea. Water's breaking into the boat. And you think Jesus is going to come save the day. Yes, I know how this, I know where we're headed with this story. And so the scene moves to the Savior. And what is he doing? He's focused. He's ready to go to battle against the storm. He's gearing up in the bottom of the boat. No, he's snoring, maybe. Unless that's a product of the fall. I don't know. But, he, but he's sleeping in the storm. Some of you women are saying, yeah, that's a product of the fall. But he's asleep in the storm. Dead asleep, the word is. He's out. Not a care in the world. Sleeping like a baby. Is this the hero we need? And notice what they do. And they woke him. And they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now think about this moment right here. As the Savior sleeps, we get a window into His nature. He's 100% man, 100% God. And we see both of those things in His sleep. Because as a man, He's tired. He's worn out. He needs some rest. But as God, He's able to sleep without a care in the world. Think about that. In his sleep, we see his divinity. He's not panicked. He's not worried, even though he's tired. And the disciples rush in and all of the gospel writers that tell this story, they use different titles for Jesus in this moment. Some of them are saying, Rabbi, teacher. Others are saying, Lord, Savior. They are shaking him. Get up. They're frantic. Mark is so concrete at times. We... we we don't realize what a scene this would have been. So they make their way into the bottom of the boat and they're trying to hold their balance. And they are, they are yelling for Jesus who is asleep. They don't even know that they're down there. He's out. So they finally wake him up. And their words are a rebuke. And they are to be aggressively insulting to the Savior. Teacher, do you not care? You don't care. You're asleep. Really? You don't care that we are perishing? We are being destroyed. This storm is attacking us. We have no control over it. And you're asleep because you do not care. It's a rebuke to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the professional fishermen are looking to the carpenter for help? And his sleep should have comforted them. 
it should have given them security. If he ain't worried, I ain't worried. It's kind of like when we used to tell our kids when there would be a storm or there'd be something dangerous and they would begin to freak out. One of the things we would tell them is, hey, look at me. Am I scared? No. Then why are you scared? This happened quite often with Karis, who was scared a lot. Remember one time we were coming home from vacation and we were actually in Alabama now that I think about it. We were driving through a storm and Danae and I are talking about how awful this storm is and the, the rain you can't see out of the front. And we turn around and Karis is in tears. I'm like, oh no, what's wrong? I'm scared. Why would you be scared? Oh yeah, because we've been talking about how we're all going to die up here in the front seat. We stopped to eat. I, thought, I pulled over to the side. I said, am I scared? I'm not scared. I promise I'm not scared. You shouldn't be scared. Am I scared of this dog? No, you shouldn't be scared. And so his sleep should have comforted them. Jesus isn't scared. He's not panicking. So they shouldn't be scared. But you know what scares them in the moment? Is that he's not scared. Is that he's not panicking. He sleeps because he is sovereign. He's in control. He's ruler. They're scared because they're not. And they're panicking. And, that, and then they're like, Jesus, why aren't you panicking? Why aren't you concerned? And it freaks them out that he is not like them. And we're, we're like that quite often, right? We get upset with people who don't freak out like we freak out. This is my life. Because I, I work with Clay Tabor who never freaks out about anything. And my wife never freaks out. I freak out a lot. I'm a worst case scenario kind of person. If I can start with the worst case scenario and fix that, then we're going to be okay. And so I'll lay out worst case scenarios for these two people. And they just stare at me and they, they just smile at me. And Clay's always like, well, maybe it's not the worst case. Maybe it's the most glorious, best case ever. And I say, why aren't you freaking out like me? I need you to freak out a little bit sometimes. Because in my mind, they don't freak out because they don't care. And if you freaked out, that would tell me you cared. That's the way we think. Jesus cares. We see in his life, he's emotionally connected to his mission. Jesus gets sad. He gets angry. Even as Jesus is going before the cross, there is terror. He sees the wrath of God before him. He sweats drops of blood. But he doesn't panic. He never panics. So we should never panic. I know some of you are here today and you are panicking. And you are asking Jesus the same thing the disciples ask him. Do you not care? Do you not care about my problems? I need to be healed of this sickness and I'm praying that I would be healed of this sickness. But you seem to be sleeping on my problem, Jesus. I've asked for a new job for months. 
I've sent out resumes. I have put applications in and, and you're not answering my prayers. Do you not care? Why are you sleeping? I have prayed that my marriage would get better. I, I have worked hard at this and I am pleading, Jesus, why are you sleeping? Do you not care? I have pled for my kids' salvation. I have asked to find a spouse. Jesus, I have gotten on my knees and prayed for revival in this country. Why are you asleep? It's like the psalmist, Psalm 44, cries out to God, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? And in those moments when we begin to think, is Jesus sleeping? Does he not care? You have to stop and remind yourself, he's not like you. And if he panicked, and if he freaked out, if somehow he allowed you to look into the throne room of heaven and he was wringing his hands and pacing around the way you do, that would be horrible for us. He doesn't panic. He's steady. And sometimes the Savior sleeps because he does care. Notice verse 39. And he awoke. He awoke again. He awoke and rebuke the wind. So Jesus gets up. And the word rebuke. It, it is he corrected it. It is as if the wind was doing something wrong. And Jesus stopped it. And corrected it. It's the same way he cast out the demon in the synagogue. He rebuked it. He rebukes wind. Wind. Think about wind for a moment. Can't see it. Mysterious wind. Jesus talks to it. Corrects it from doing what it's doing. And he said to the sea, Water, peace be still. Now, think about that moment. But you remember that moment. The man who was sleeping, worn out from teaching, stands up and starts talking to wind and water. And you would have said, he's crazy. He's lost his mind. Except for, notice, immediately, but almost before the words leave his mouth, the wind ceased in the great calm. Before you're able to process that his words are insanity... His words perform their work. Peace, tranquility, stop it, cease. And there was a great calm. The word is placid. It's smooth. It's flat. It's as if there are no ripples. There are no sounds. It's this unordinary calm on the sea all of a sudden that would have left you with an eerie feeling. There is nothing moving. All of a sudden, the boat isn't even moving. Everything stops and is at rest. And all of these words emphasize this great calm. You go from this 
demonic-like raging all around where, where you almost feel in your mind the chaos. Everything is shaking. There's panic. Peace be still. Nothing. That would be scary, right? That, that doesn't fit in our brain. And then notice they've rebuked him. He's rebuked the storm. And now he rebukes them. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Why in the world scared? Have you still, and this, this is a stinging rebuke, you still have no faith. You have no confidence in me. You don't trust my plan. When we're back on the other side of the sea and I can see the other side and I say, let's go over there. You don't trust me. You don't trust my plan. You don't trust my mission. After you all you've seen, you've seen me cast out demons. You've, you've seen me make people walk and see with my words. You've seen it all. And you still, you don't trust me. Jesus is insulted. By their fear. Why are you so terrified? You see, the disciples rebuke Jesus. And that's in contrast with his rebuke of the storm. And his rebuke of the storm in and of itself is a rebuke of them. You, 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 you're still afraid? See, see my power? And it's a rebuke to them. And as you rise to rebuke him for not caring... Remember, he has rebuked a greater storm in your life. You have sinned against God. And there is a torrential downpour of wrath that is headed your way. There is an ocean current of God's judgment that is bearing down upon you. And on the cross, Jesus is immersed in the waves of God's judgment for you. In the same way this boat is filled with water, Jesus, His body was full of God's judgment to the point where He suffocates on His own blood. And you claim to trust in Him for salvation of your sins. You say that is the only hope in this world. In three days, Jesus lay in the stern of death in a coffin. You know what the disciples did then? Same thing they did on the boat. Why is he sleeping? Does he not care? As they hid from the authorities, as they faced persecution because they had associated themselves with the maniac criminal Jesus and people were hunting them down and they were hiding as Jesus lay in the tomb. They were saying, why is he sleeping? Does he not care? And then all of a sudden, Jesus walks into the room where the disciples are there. And what's the first thing he says to them? Peace to you. Jesus has walked from the grave. And he has spoken to the storm of sin and death in your life through a cross and a resurrection. An empty tomb declares to you he cares. And he asks you today, if that's true for you, why are you still afraid? Why are you scared of anything? Do you still have no faith? And the cross is a rebuke to our lack of faith. 
When we begin to go, what in the world is God doing? Why would He allow this happen? He must not care. I know He is sovereign. I believe that theologically. You can't argue anything different from Scripture. I know He is King. I know He is Lord. So if He's not taking care of this, He must not care. And Jesus says to you, what's wrong with you? Have you forgotten the cross? It's to rebuke our lack of faith. We always we have to go back to the cross. The cross declares, yes, He is sovereign and yes, He does care. You can't move away from the cross because if you do, you will drown in the storm. Notice what scares them the most. 41. They were filled. The same way the boat is filled with water, it begins to sink. They are filled with a great fear. Literally, they fear a great fear. A mega fear. They have terror in the form of reverence. And it fills even their bodies down to the core of who they are. They are scared to death. And they begin to mutter to one another, who then is this? We're thinking, you know who it is. You've had breakfast, lunch, and dinner with him. You know him. You know where he's from. You know his story. He's your teacher. You, and, and yet in that moment, when they see his power, they still don't believe it. They still don't get it. Who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? The wind that you don't see and the water you see, they obey him. Who is this? And this calm before them leaves them uncomfortable. We would think after this happened, there would be a party on the boat. Yes, he did it again. Woo! No, they're scared to death. They have seen power that they've never seen before. And they are in a holy dread of this person. They have seen millions of gallons of water controlled by his words. Thousands of horsepower, mile per hour winds constrained by his voice. He has made a raging sea into a smooth as silk, flat, almost like you could walk on it. Plot of water before them. And it scares them. How in the world can he do this? What kind of power is this? And they have a holy dread and they realize in their soul something ain't right. This is something we've never seen before. And the reality is they ain't right. They're not right. They don't under... They are finite and small before the creator of the universe. And they are struck in that moment with fear of the Lord. From a great wind shaking the boat to a great calm that shakes their soul. And the question is, who is this? And that's the question Mark is trying to answer throughout the whole book. Who is this? We get to the end of the book and the centurion before the cross looks up and says, surely this was the son of God. But here in this moment, they're still asking, who is this? And we know the whole story and we look at them and say, you don't understand that's the son of God. 
That's God's king who created the water he just controlled. You don't get that. You can't process that. But in the moment, all they can do is fear. And that's one of the reasons we don't trust God is because we don't tremble before him. That's the point of the story. To trust him, you're going to have to tremble before him at some point. If they realized who this was, they would have feared him more than the storm. If they could have answered the question, who is this? They would have said, okay, we're going to fear him, God's king, more than the storm. And that's why at some point in our life, we have to tremble before him to actually trust him. One of the reasons... We lack faith is because we have no reverence for Jesus in our worship. As we stand before creation, as we come before the word, as we look out at the world around us, do you ever tremble in reverence before your creator? Maybe that's why you don't trust in your creator. Maybe that's why you don't believe your creator. Because your creator is just a mascot. A mascot that you think is designed to make you feel better about yourself. No, he's creator and his goal is not that you would feel better about yourself, but that you would know who he is. And sometimes he has to shake you to the core and remind you he is a holy God who is not like you and he is not scared of your storms. And that is all the reason to trust him. Faith is cultivated through a healthy reverence for Jesus. You have to remind yourself at times if you saw his unhindered power, his unhindered control, it would traumatize you. He doesn't give it to all all of it at once. He doesn't show it to us all at once. You felt it as you stand over that mountain. You, You felt it as you've seen those storms. You felt it as you look at creation around you. That He is powerful. He is mighty. But our minds are so twisted on ourselves, we can't even allow ourselves to think He is holy and He is big and He is glorious. Why? Because we fall short of His glory. We're not right. And we don't have all authority. And we can't do whatever we want. But He can. And if we saw it, we wouldn't feel good about ourselves. Hopefully we would feel good about him you see faith trusts jesus in the storm because we fear jesus more than the storm think about this if you fear the storm more than the savior why would you go to the savior if you're more scared about what you're facing than you would be fearful of jesus if you saw his power why would you go to jesus and ask him to help you at all if you fear him more than the storm Then he's all you've got. Then it makes sense to trust and hope in him. And why would you hope in one whose power would never bring you reverence? Why would you hope in one who wouldn't make you shake a little bit standing before him? Because he is so glorious 
And He is so powerful. And He and His person possesses such right authority. Why would you, why would you go to Him if He doesn't make you tremble? You see, godly fear, it doesn't lead to panic, but it leads to faith. The storm produces panic. The Savior causes fear. And we see that even with the demons. When the demons come upon Jesus, they are panicked and they are terrorized. Have you come to destroy us? Here the disciples are in a holy fear because they haven't been destroyed. They've been saved. But they still tremble. It's the classic C.S. Lewis line. He's not safe, but he's good. The demons realize he's not safe and it scares them to death. The disciples realize he's not safe, but he is good. He just saved us from the storm. But we cannot act like we didn't see what we just saw. We can't act like a moment ago we couldn't get our balance and now we can because he said something. That's scary. And this kind of fear, it's not panic. It only makes sense at the cross. We tremble before the cross, but we do not panic before the cross. We, we tremble before the cross because we see one holy enough with all power to save us from our sins. But we don't panic because the one who is holy and all powerful has saved us from our sins. We tremble, but we do not panic before the cross. We tremble as the King of Kings stands before the greatest force that would ever come against us, the wrath of God. There are reasons to fear in this world, but you should fear God's wrath more than you fear anything else. And apart from Jesus standing in the way and being obliterated by the blowtorch of God's wrath, all that God would would be angry All his reasons for being angry with you were unleashed upon Jesus. His rage was unleashed upon Jesus. His justice was unleashed upon Jesus. Jesus was destroyed in your in your place. And so you stand there and you go, what power, what might, what glory that, that he would endure that for me. He has stopped the raging storm of God's wrath. In dying in my place. And you tremble. And here's the reality. If you do not go to the cross, you will not fear God. You will be scared of God. You go to the cross so you're not scared of God. But if you do not go to the cross, you will not tremble in reverence before Him. And if you do not tremble at the cross, you will never trust Him. Because you won't believe He can really save you. Ask yourself in this moment, what do you fear the most? Be honest in this moment. What keeps me up at night? What is shaking my soul? The government? Sickness? Death? Money? Kids' future? What is what are you afraid of? And then go tremble before the one who plowed before who plowed through a Roman instrument of torture and endured God's wrath for you 
and walked outside of a first century coffin and says to you today, peace be still. Tremble before Him. And then ask the question, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Does it scare you that He's not like you? Does it scare you that He's not like you? Does it scare you that He's not panicked? That He's not scared of the storm? Well, maybe it should.